0: Welcome to Impact on the Crown with Tia. I'm the CEO of a tech for good company and passionate about making a difference. This podcast series will dig deeper into the, what it means to make an impactful change in our society. Whether you are individual, charity, social enterprise, company, grant maker, or government body, it's all about collaboration, sharing ideas, and working together. And we are here to talk about how this works in practice. We also focus on the dynamics uh, of those who have resources to give and those who are actually doing the beneficiary work on the ground. Today, the topic is mental health. And I have here two great individuals, professionals from the mental health sector. Uh, The first one is Jess Borthwick, the service manager at Changes Bristol. And then I have here Dr. Mary Jane Tucky, Who is a psychiatrist and a chair of Us Active, and I give now an opportunity for the charities to introduce themselves uh, before we start the conversation. Uh, Would you start, Jess? Welcome.
1: Sure. Thank you, Tia. Lovely to be here. Um, Yes. So Changes Bristol is a peer support mental health charity. Uh, We run various different activities to connect people in the city. to uh, gain support and uh, benefit their well-being um, uh, around around their mental health. What kind of size
0: is your operation? What is your turnover, and how many beneficiaries you reach in a year?
1: Yeah, so we have um, we we're relatively small. We have a team of about ten, um, and we have uh, we're currently about fifty volunteers working with us. Um, our our membership is. Is quite large because people can be engaged with us for as long as they want, um, and so we we see uh, fluctuating numbers. But we have we have over a thousand people on our books, um, but uh, typically speaking, we see about um, an average of ten people at each of our groups. Uh, we run nine uh, weekly online groups and five uh, or oh, no six in person groups as well. So um, that's kind of a a rough idea of the size of what we're doing. So are you based
0: in Bristol or is it uh, like a wider operation?
1: It's just Bristol for the time being, Um, although we're looking at um, imagining what it looked like, might look like to expand into South Gloucestershire and North Somerset. Um, But at the moment, just Bristol. Um, Well, at the moment online. Um, So anyone in the world can join us. Yeah.
0: (laughs) OK, Mary Jane. Hi, thanks you. Thank, thank you
2: for having me here today. Um, I'm the chair of a charity called Us Active. So we are um, a smaller operation than Jess's, in fact. Um, a charity that we set up uh, four years ago. And the charity is for young people um, aged 12 to 25 in the northeast of England who have mental illness or are at risk of developing mental illness. And what we do is we introduce the young people to sport and exercise as a means of improving their quality of life, their health, having a bit of fun, maybe just getting an opportunity that they might not normally get. Our idea is not just to do the exercise um, as a um, as in itself, it's to get someone involved in something in their own community that they can then do when the charity is no longer involved with them. So the idea is a sustainable change um, that the young person picks for themselves that we try and help them achieve.
0: So what is your kind of, as you said, they are smaller than Jesse's organization? We're a very uh, small organization. Uh, we have
2: five trustees. We have two employees. We have volunteers to help us. Um, and we started off small because we, I have a very strong belief that if a thing's worth doing, it's worth doing well, therefore you've got to walk before you run. And I wanted to make a difference so that um, we might see fewer people, but if it then made a difference for them, it was worth doing. So we've probably helped about 300 young people so far and each year it's growing uh, and we have a plan to try and double our numbers this year. COVID got in the way slightly but there's been some advantages and disadvantages of that. So, um, so that's our plan. We're growing um, and hopefully um, we will get bigger.
0: Great. Uh, so we will get back to the growth plans, uh, you know, a little bit later, but uh, let's uh, talk about the mental health uh, in general. Um, mental health uh, is in the news every day uh, now uh, uh, since the COVID and uh you know what do you what do you see what is the state of uk mental health at the moment
1: do you want to go first jess sure um well i think it's no surprise to anyone that uh, mental health has taken a bit of a battering uh, in this last year certainly people have had their lives turned upside down they've had to change everything about the the way they work the way they relate and certainly, a lot of people's very established coping mechanisms are no longer available. Um, we work with a lot of people who have a whole range of different mental health difficulties um, and many people who are very practiced at um, doing the work to manage their mental health. And uh, a lot of that just became completely unavailable uh, uh, when we went into the first lockdown last March. And so. Uh, it's been a huge challenge for a lot of people to reinvent how they how they engage, and I think particular areas of concern are around people who don't have uh, technical capabilities uh, or, or equipment. Uh, certainly, you know, if you if you're not able to join a Zoom meeting um, or access the internet for whatever reason, that means that you're more isolated than ever. Um, Obviously, this intersects with lots of other challenges um, around, you know, gender and sexuality or racism and domestic violence, you know, we could go on for a long time, but of course there's lots of intersecting challenges uh, that that, uh, play a role here. But certainly what we've been seeing is a lot of people really struggling with isolation, depression, and I think this lockdown in particular, this this third lockdown in the cold and the dark um, has has had a a whole new impact on on people's well-being. With it being so dark and cold outside, uh, it means that that even the the few comforts that are left to us um, around being able to get outside, get some exercise, uh, is is limited. And I think that's that's been really challenging for for a lot of our members. So so it's been a challenging time. And that said, there's a lot of joys to be had, too. There's some unexpected benefits of, of this time. And people are now better at being connected yeah. um, virtually than, than they ever have been before. So um, there are definitely ways that, that people are, are learning how to, how to care for themselves in new ways. Um, and, and we're seeing a lot of resilience come through in our membership, uh, even in spite of the difficulties.
2: Mary Jane? Yeah, I agree with all of what you say. Um, I think that uh, it's really good that mental health is in the news all of the time now, because it's changed, it used to be always bad news about mental uh, ill health in the news, but it's actually not that, it's a much more positive, let's get involved, let's recognize it, let's not stigmatize people, let's have parity of esteem between mental illness and physical illness. All these things are, are good. Um, my only worry is that um, we raise awareness without um, improving services and um, mm-hmm. support. So it, the, the worst thing we could do is raise awareness and then for there to be lots of people with less support than they. You know, yeah. that would be that would be wrong. And that's one of the reasons why we started this charity. In fact, we know that one in four people have um, adults have a common mental illness. We know that one in ten young people. Um, develop some form of mental illness. I mean, these are massive, massive numbers. And I've always said that if, you know, mental illness is one of the highest, uh, has one of the highest global burden of disease um, upon us, um, up with things like heart disease, but it's never thought of in that way. And it has terrible consequences for some people. So it's very serious for some people, not always, but so I'm I'm really pleased that it's now on everyone's radar. The challenge now is that we need to do something about it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, uh, I guess uh, you know, like you said, the stigma is pretty much gone. You know, we've been talking about this now uh, almost a year, like every day, and it's uh, you can see in media. Lots of people who would never talk about any mental health, mental health problems, you know, people openly openly talking about uh but this mental health, or maybe they're just struggling, they are admitting that they are struggling and, and kind I mean, of that helping out kind of other people to also express that yes, I am struggling too too, you know, and, and stuff. So that is kind of a good thing. I mean, I wouldn't say the stigma has gone, I think it's
2: getting better. Okay, there's still a lot of stigma to challenge and I think this is like the, um, this is what I always say. It's about talking about cancer. We never used to be able to talk about cancer. We can now talk about cancer all the time and it's not a problem. We just need to
0: to be able to talk about mental ill health in the same relaxed way Absolutely. So come to conclusion that this is at least one positive from COVID, but yes, I'm sure a uh, lot of um, you know people need the services more, more than ever. But what is then the role of charities? I mean, your type of charities. I assume that you're voluntary funded or are you supported by local governments? Or how do you operate? Do
2: you want to go ahead, Mary Jane? Yeah. So uh voluntary funded, and I think it's a really interesting point. I don't think charities should do something that, you know, should be provided for it by the statutory services. But I don't think that statutory services can just keep going and going and doing more and more and more and maybe end up doing it badly because they can't possibly meet the needs of everybody. I think that we have to change the way that we look at how services are provided and collaborate and share And a bit like what Jess does, you know, there's things that her organisation can do that they do much better than anyone else. So therefore, they should be doing it. Um, With regard to our charity, we're doing something that people don't do. We all know that physical fitness and physical health is important and we know that it protects you against mental ill health. Um, I think everybody thinks it's a good idea, but the services that I know exist around our region don't have the... don't have the resources or the um they have got so much other they've got so many other things to be doing so it's um i think it's a role that isn't being provided by anyone else should be provided and it's perfectly right to be done with a charity
0: what do Uh, you say about how you define yourself because you were talking about uh, uh exercise uh young people uh kind of uh physical activity building your mental health so if it's youth and exercise, would it be easier to sell the concept to the funders? Yes. So I think that's exactly right.
2: So um, the reason that we chose the so we, the reason that we chose the age group that we chose was that the evidence is that the earlier you help people, the better it is for them in the long run. So you get more, you know, you'd be more impact. That's yeah. not to say that older people wouldn't benefit from this as well. They would, but like everything, we had to start somewhere. Um, and I have visions of it becoming bigger and wider, but you know, start somewhere and do that properly. Um, and yes, so um, I think that's right. It's um, it also physical exercise is very much in the news and we've got to help ourselves. So the government is very much saying to us, you know, we can't do it for you, you've got to do it for yourself. So I suppose we're, we're sort of, it's a good time to be starting this kind of work.
0: Mm-hmm. So Jess, uh, what is your message to your beneficiaries? Um, You have different age people attending or being your members.
1: Yeah, so we work with people over the age of 18 um, and it's it's really quite broad after that. Um, And I I really agree with what Mary Jane was saying about the importance that there's a distinction between voluntary sector uh, and statutory services in terms of the roles that they play. I think sometimes when, um, when statutory services are struggling for funding, there can be a, a kind of instinct to, to try and pass things over to the charity sector. And over and over again, um, through my career in the charity sector, I've seen um, voluntary sector organizations and charities picking up a much higher level of risk that, that statutory services simply can't hold because there's a lack of funding in the. In the sector, and that so that's that's concerning, and I really feel that charities, as you said, mary um can fill a, a place, can can do things that statutory services cannot and should not be doing. So our work is to provide uh, peer support, and I think that's the real beauty of of our work um, is that it's it's non hierarchical, it's non clinical, peer to peer. People with lived experience of mental health difficulties um, or mental illness, uh, supporting other people, um, which has myriad benefits and, and they're well documented. Now there's been quite a lot of research into the value of peer support. Uh, and that's something that simply, you know, isn't necessarily practical or, or appropriate in a statutory service. So it, it really does need to be done by charities. Um, so yeah. I'm not sure if I answered your question about messaging. But this is, this is very, yeah.
2: Just don't mind me interrupting there, just, um, and I think that um, it has to be done by people that do it well, because there is a, uh, because peer support um, has become a a good thing in the last 10 years, when I first started as a psychiatrist, it was never heard of, and it, you know, it's really a ridiculous thing to suggest, but actually, you know, it's funny how things change. But you've got to be careful that these statutory services aren't just paying lip service to having a peer support worker tacked onto the end of their team. And um, so I think that's the, the other key is that doing it properly is the is the key. Yeah,
0: Absolutely. and also I guess the you know uh, you know kind of responsibilities here as well. That uh, you know if you run or you know activities um, with well, volunteers, you know what is the responsibility they can bear. Of 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 the people that they work with, so there has to be a very strict line. Uh, they are volunteers, not professionals. You know, uh, with we're very with very clear about we're not
2: providing treatment for anybody. Yes, yeah, um, certainly not um, stopping anyone accessing anything that they require with regard to treatment or the, the psychiatry or the, whatever yeah. it is. This is something in addition, and the people that work with us are volunteers and they they have a little bit of training but they're not professionals and they have to act almost sometimes like members of the lay public you know if if something goes wrong do what you would do normally ring 999 or go to the hospital you know um so making sure that you don't cross that line and do be sort of quasi nursing interventions which is not right
1: yeah absolutely and we put a lot of emphasis on um reminding our volunteers that they are just that, um, and that their role is to deliver peer support, not to be a therapist or a a psychologist or, you know, whatever else. Um, And so, and I think that's, that's the thing, you know, we've had 17 years of practicing this model. And so we've come to be experts in peer support, which means that we know where the lines are and how to provide support for, for volunteers so that it doesn't in crossover, you know, we have a, a really robust system of supervision and support and mentoring um, and and it's we're very clear about who holds the safeguarding risks. Um, because it can, as you say, the lines can blur so easily and uh, it's really important that that we hold that carefully. So uh,
0: do you get any uh or company support, support from companies, any corporates support, or is it uh, uh, is your activities funded by a grant like trusts and foundations?
2: Well, we've got a um, a collection of funding, and a very generous uh, funding from um, the Barber Foundation, which is the people that make the jackets. <laughs> We're actually based in South Shields, and Dame Margaret Barber, who chairs that um, company. Has been very generous with regard to donations to our charity, but but the rest is from um, there's a community foundation that helps us. There's bids. We have a fundraising committee. Yeah. So I'm always badgering my friends to do various things that uh, yeah. <laughs> they always like doing. In the end, but uh, so so quite a few different um funding streams. We got a grant from a friend of mine at the university, which was nice as well. So lots of different places and. Um, some of the interesting things is that you can't really bid for, um, you, you can't make bids for things until your charity is established. Yeah, so it's difficult when you start up, but we're now getting into the swing of it, um, and things are looking up. We recently were very successful with a crowdfunding project, which is the first time we'd done it. We we're really pleased with that. So um, lots of
0: different ways. Yeah. So, why should company uh, some companies support you, and why is this barber uh, uh, support su- supporting you? What could they gain from you or learn from you? Do you, do you have some expertise that uh, the companies could maybe use within their own staff or somehow utilize your knowledge?
2: Well, I think what's interesting is people um, donate to charities because they are philanthropic and want other people to succeed, and that's great. Uh, some people donate because they want something back from you. Mm-hmm. Um, not everybody, certainly, and certainly that's not been our experience. But I think it's a really interesting question is actually joining that, um, joining that back up, the people that have helped us um, produce this charity, what can we give them back? Um, I think it's quite an interesting question. Maybe that's something we should actually go, ba- go back and be asking these people. For me, it would be around the kind of stuff that we're delivering for the young people. Is,
0: mm-hmm. is that something that organizations need to be doing it for their staff? You know, it's not just about... Um, yeah, that kind of came to my mind. I'm not... Because I, I don't believe that companies are greedy at all and they don't think about like this actively. So that's what my suggestion. My suggestion that maybe they could be thinking... Because uh, we are people in companies as well, <laughs> you know. You know, yeah, they have children, and probably their children could use your services, and they could benefit from the same model and stuff. And then it would be maybe even making good money by selling your services and then giving it to free for your beneficiaries. So yeah. just kind of like thinking about like an economic arrangement. Uh, if there are mutual benefits and, and I guess uh, also what companies are looking for is of course, you know, that kind of a sense of purpose and, and, and kind of uh, proof of uh, delivering social value so that their staff can feel good about themselves because everybody wants to help the staff and they want to know that their company is actively involved. So some kind of like a counter activity, uh, even though it wouldn't be like a transaction per se. But uh, that was just came to my mind that if there is, it just seems that everybody needs exercise to stay healthy, you know, uh, also like mentally. So uh, I'm sure that companies have lots of employees who could be benefiting from the methods. So maybe something like that could uh, come about in the future as a as no, an offer. And then you just have to charge a lot for your services. <laughs>
2: really interesting point though isn't it so we're happy to take but we have to think about what we give back yeah and I suppose we're thinking about the giving back at a different place but actually
0: um looking after the people that help us hmm. well just a rough idea what about uh, Jess um how about you with the company support
1: yeah so we have a um, fairly diverse uh, funding streams as well um at the moment, it's about grant funded and 50% of our own generated income. We have a a fundraising committee who are very active and and very engaged. They're doing all kinds of different events, everything from um, poetry nights to comedy gigs, to quizzes, to, I don't know, um, there was, I think there was a Bristol to Bath lungeathon being thrown around um, (laughs) as well. So lots of different um, events uh, taking place as well. as best we can at the moment. Uh, we do have a little bit of funding from the NHS as well um, to support uh, low level mental health needs in South Bristol in particular. Um, in, in And we are developing relationships with some corporations and businesses uh, and largely that looks like uh, us delivering training for them. Yeah. So we're able to support them with um, Mental health support, and particularly right now, um, there are some there are some needs that these businesses have around uh, managing their employees um, to support their mental health while they're working from home. Um, so we can deliver some training around that kind of thing to support the businesses um, as in exchange and as part of uh, a partnership with them, which helps to support the the other work that we do as well.
0: Sorry, that, that's very interesting aspect. And I'm very happy to hear that you have these kind of conversations going on. And uh, to be honest, it's not just as the, like a financial transaction, what, what you need, but uh, what I've heard that companies struggle at the moment with their staff because they, the HR department, they should be offering support, but it wasn't necessarily always needed amongst all the people but now it's just the need is much higher and suddenly in in lockdown and online services you would be needing to offer some kind of support and you don't have the systems in place in that at least quantity. Uh, that you you know before so you know i'm sure that there is um, you know more demand of course now but even in the in the future so uh, just i think you know you mentioned earlier something uh, when we were having discussion that your concept is very well kind of um, kind of Uh, licensable or you know you could just like scale it to other cities so have you documented it somehow is it is there like a method with this peer-to-peer support that you could be kind of franchising?
1: Well so we're not the first changes uh the first changes is in Stoke-on-Trent um and our founder of Changes Bristol had moved from Stoke and moved to Bristol and was looking around for something similar that that would that would support people's mental health and um basically eventually went back to the original organization and asked if it would be possible for for them to franchise and and develop a, a bristol chapter so that's what we are um we're we're a, as i mentioned we're a franchise so we're not um We're not governed by the same trustees or even even their policies. Um, We're based on their model and we use some of their original material that they developed, but we've we've kind of branched off and and developed our own work as well. So it's entirely possible that other cities could develop peer support networks. Um, And I think what's been so exciting through the coronavirus pandemic is that we've seen a tremendous surge in peer support coming um, from every corner of the country in the form of mutual aid groups, um, where we see neighbors taking care of one another, picking up groceries or medication or mowing mowing lawns or um, just kind of taking care of one another in a more tangible way. And I think that energy is really exciting and really um, there's a lot of potential in harvesting that energy to, to continue it going forwards so that people feel more supported by their communities, um, especially in a time of, of such isolation. So, um, yeah, I think there's lots of opportunity for for people to take the model elsewhere, and uh, certainly a lot of it seems it seems that there's a lot of enthusiasm for that, which is exciting.
0: Well, that's very exciting, definitely, and uh, you know. Of course, uh, it comes naturally to people, or should come. There's kind of peer-to-peer support. I mean, <laughs> we are humans after all, and you know, uh, we we are kind of meant to live together and help out and so on. But uh, in terms of any professional environment, like if we talk about co- company life, and if if company employees, uh, you know, uh, are kind of expected or would like to be each other's support. Uh, of some kind of a guidance could be uh, in place because there are also boundaries because it's a work life it's not the voluntary friendship where things go naturally there are there has to be like boundaries as well and some kind of like um, kind of a guideline that what is kind of the support what you should be giving and what is then something that maybe it's outside of kind of the company time so that's kind of a Defic- definitions could be probably very helpful for companies and training programs and that, that kind of work that you'd be using your expertise uh, to help it say-
1: Exactly. Sorry, Tia. Um, oh, sorry. Some of the work that we've been looking at, some of the training programs that we've been looking at developing is to support companies to develop a peer support network um, internally, and we can deliver some training to, give them some structure and some boundaries um and uh basically to to share that model but internally within companies so that there's there's uh support and i think now when so many people are working from home even having a little buddy system can be so valuable so yeah. so that's what we're looking at uh developing as well which is which is fun
0: mary Jane, uh, uh could you tell a little bit more about the exercise bit i mean uh yeah you said that you help the young people to get into exercise but what is the method if somebody's not really into exercise uh, or do you have like a, some kind of a system how you work?
2: Yeah well we, we've we learned as we went along so um, when we first started we thought uh, we might put on some um, activities and ask young people to join us and then we realized that's a really bad way of doing it um, the best way of doing it which is what we do now is we meet with the young so the young person is referred to us from wherever there's no anyone can refer to us there's, there's a there's a website there's it could be for you know themselves their parents their teachers anyone try and make it as easy as possible we meet with a young person we find out what it is that they're interested in mm. and then try and work around that um, so we've had some very, we've had some mainstream stuff like people wanting to get a fit in the gym or learn to run or that kind of thing. But we've had some really much more interesting, um, a young, uh, man who worked with us, wanted to do archery. So we had to source that and we found that. And we now, you know, we're now firm friends with the, um, the archers of the, of the area, <laughs> um, horse riding, uh, ice skating, swimming. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what it is. Uh, any exercise is good and it's very interesting you say that too that some people are um, more ready to engage than others mm. and sometimes it's just a question of going for a walk around the block is a big deal and getting yeah. out of the house and um actually you know that that can take weeks um but that's okay you know there's no there's no pressure there's no time and um I was just talking to one of our uh, one of the um one of our employees today who said that um sometimes it's a bit disappointing because people say they want to do something and then they then they don't. And I said, Well, you know, that's that's life, and uh, we're all a bit like that. We might think we want to do something, but then we don't. So we try and make it as easy for p- people to engage as possible, but for some people it won't be for them and they'll decide against it, but that's okay. Um, but for many people it's um it, it's worth persevering. I think yeah. what we were trying to say was that. We know the benefits of exercise, but sometimes it takes you a while to get into it before you realise the benefits of exercise. Yeah. So Once you realise the benefits of it, you're kind of there, aren't you? So our job is just trying to facilitate. We're certainly not going to make
0: anyone do anything they don't want to do. Yeah. Yeah. But, But that's the role. But well, I guess, uh, you know, it's not only in with your beneficiaries, uh, this dilemma, any young people, you know, they try things and they don't like it. And then they do this and they want that hobby and stuff. So it, there is nothing strange about it, that not every any everybody's, you know, uh, interested in everything and I'm enough, the, I've never run a marathon. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, how many uh hobbies have <laughs> been tried and done it a little while and then they're not interested. And you know, so that happens. And of course it happens with your beneficiaries as well. Uh but uh I guess the thing is that people have a chance to try something, they're doing something new, getting out of their comfort zone, you know, and then maybe finding their own path, you know, yeah. for the exercise or, you know, kind of for their hobby and and, and uh, that sort of thing. And the other thing is the benefits of the sort of socialization aspects. Yes.
2: Of the being able to do what other people do, you know, sort of um, for some people, it's quite difficult to go into a group. Yeah. Uh, uh, and that would be impossible to start with. So we always start with one to one things. But occasionally but then we try and get people if they want to to do groups. Um, and then there's all the benefits of that. And we've got a group of young uh, men, young boys, who um, it's now six of them, who all go to a gym at the same time. And I wouldn't say much, it's, it, it's a really lovely group um, who have some things in common and it's they otherwise wouldn't have met.
0: Yeah, you know, yeah. And, and that, that has done uh, have a uh, like a so long impact uh, on your life or actually can change your life forever uh you know these kind of uh, youth friendships and belonging and and you know getting into healthy lifestyle and and that so that is impactful so i guess what i'd like to say here anybody who's listening um you know on the supporter side who might be a volunteer or company uh, offering some funding fundraising grant maker so it's not only always about the size of the organization or how many beneficiaries uh it's not about numbers uh, as you speak in charity sector, it's not about outputs, it's the impact, uh, what you're making, and 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 these kind of uh, one-on-one sessions or peer-to-peer, it might seem that oh, only a couple of tens of people somewhere, but it can be transforming somebody's life, which means that, you know, then it has an impact worth tens of years of in in that person's lives and also everybody who's around the person. So these, uh, you know, impacts can be very great. Um, And uh, I I strongly recommend uh, people to consider uh, supporting very small organizations. But Mary Jane, you said you uh, wish to grow. So what do you need for growing uh, from any individual or company or grant maker?
2: I need two things. Mm -hmm. I need more young people to use the service. Oh, you have a beneficiary. <laughs> you know, need need for exactly. more beneficiaries. Yeah, That's the most important thing because without those young people, there would be no point in it. Um, and then I need money to be able to make that happen. Yeah, um, and it's very simple. It's like most things, isn't it? It sounds really simple. It's it's um, much more complicated in reality. Yeah, um, I also want to be able to um have enough money to run the charity so that it's uh professional and you know does all the things it's supposed to do it doesn't spend all the money on doing that but um it's really interesting setting up a charity that you have to have all the things in place to make a business run yeah and that, however tiny you are and all the safety and all the stuff like that um and, and that's when you start off seems to be a big bit of what you've spent your money on and we're very lucky in the fact that we've we've managed that quite well but but that's an important thing to keep I never realized that about charities and you'd hear oh they spend all their money on you know why have they got so many employees that kind of thing you can't do um a job well unless you have the infrastructure and the administration I'm not saying that's the most important bit because the most important bit is the beneficiaries um but that's what I need I need to be able to have more young people and the money to provide some excellent facilities, but to also run it.
0: Yeah. Uh, uh, what about uh, any companies? I mean, you, you mentioned these exercise hobbies and stuff. Do you need like free donations, gym memberships, or I don't know, free horseback riding? Maybe you should come and work for us. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Paracliding, you know, uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so anybody listening, if you have a company who has uh, opportunities for uh, for you know younger we, you know youth uh, you know youth. down
2: the road, maybe we could get some free memberships for that.
0: Okay, <laughs> uh, where was exactly uh, you know your location? So uh, we happen that we, it's all virtual,
2: obviously. We happen to live in Newcastle upon Tyne, yeah. um, but we cover the whole of the northeast. So we're sort yeah. of gradually. We'll go wherever we can go. Yeah.
0: So your beneficiaries are also, you know, kind of in a in a broader geographical area. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What about Chess? What do you need in order to grow? You said you want to expand.
1: Hmm. I think a big piece of it is awareness. Actually, for us, uh, we need people to to engage with us and. Um, remember that we're here um, and that's partly so we can achieve our charitable aim but um, because it's peer support positive engagement breeds positive engagement so when someone comes and makes use of the space that makes the space more open and more available to other people Um, so it it, there's a positive feedback loop so awareness is a really big piece Um, people, people knowing about us people using our services um, but equally, as as Mary Jane was saying, um, fu- uh, funding never never hurts. Um, <laughs> people are often and often grant makers are really excited to fund the sparkly projects, but no one wants to fund keeping the lights on. Um, yeah. And we need to keep the lights on to uh, to do the projects. So, so that core funding is really crucial when it comes to delivering and and growing growing the work we we have to do. So, yes, yeah, that's I'm- it really.
0: And that's, I guess, something uh, I could uh, like finish this with, uh, that there is uh, some kind of a misconception uh, sometimes um, within, um, well, individual support and company support that uh, people are saying that, oh, we don't want to fund admin costs. And uh, like you said, you know, when you uh, talk about people's lives and mental health and stuff, you know. Admin is very important (laughs) that you have things in place. Uh, You have to have safety things in place, you know, whether it's uh, data safety or other other safety things and stuff. So you know, kind of uh, taking care of the uh, you know those structures in the charity is super important because, like in your organisation, you can do a lot of bits with volunteering then as an activity, the volunteers, but you cannot build softwares and stuff necessarily get everything for free and 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 that kind of admin people to you know uh, work for you for free um and, and you need to manage your operations well so that's something that you know all the voluntary you know funders should be understanding that if an organization don't have any admin structure in place then you shouldn't probably fund them you know that's exactly the opposite and they and they
2: won't be able to survive
0: so yes. Yeah.
2: One, it's tricky, but it it you have to be honest about what it is that you're trying to do.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for this conversation, and I wish you you both and and both of your organisations uh, very good luck and bright future and lots of scaling and lots of new beneficiaries. It sounds very uh, great. Very uh, Jane. Where can people reach you? Um, how how are you found? Are you on LinkedIn or can people
2: reach? We
1: have,
0: uh, we have a website and also by
2: email. So the email is info at usactive.org.uk and the website is www.usactive.org.uk. So they're the ways to reach us.
1: Jess? We have a website, which is changesbristol.org.uk. And we also are active on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, If you just search Changes Bristol, you'll find it. Uh, And we're we're always really happy to hear from people. So do get in touch.
2: Yes, I should really have said we're also on those things because I'm so old, you see, I forgot (laughs) Instagram.
1: (laughs) But you will find
0: us there. Yeah, good, good. (laughs) Yeah, good. Okay, thank you very much. And um, yeah, have a nice rest of the winter. And um, yeah, let's be in touch. And um, both of your charity profiles will be found on whatimpact.com. Okay, thank you very much. Bye bye. Thank you, Tia.